Good morning. Let me try that again. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, excited again just for Easter Sunday, or not Easter Sunday. <laughs> Father's Day. Father's Day today. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that came from, but excited about Father's Day. Uh, again, we praise God for all of the dads here, those that aren't here that are part of our family. Um, yeah, n- uh, there's not... There's not enough that can be said about the gift it is to be a father, but it's not enough to be said about the fathers who aren't statistics, according to the world, the fathers who are not absent fathers, but present in their children's lives. Um, and even more than that, fathers who want to make, who want to do everything possible to make their children or to help them, their children meet Jesus. And so I'm proud to be able to point, look out in this crowd and see men that I know are doing that very thing and just know, church, that that's a gift to us. It's a model and it's an example. And again, we just want to recognize and um, yeah, and just applaud the men that are present in their families' lives. So uh, before we dive into the text, uh, would you all just stand with me for the reading of God's word? Unlike Mother's Day, we're not going to be in Revelations today. Um, there's no mention of the dead church. We're going to uh, deal with more of a practical and I think relatable topic on friendship. And so we'll be in Proverbs 17, verses, verse 17, and it reads as follows. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we're grateful that, um, Father, you have been a friend to us. Those that know you know how how willing you were and how far you were willing to go in order to draw us near to yourself. Father, we're grateful that when we think of you as friend, we think of your love, a love that was willing to pursue us, that was willing to keep us, or that is able to keep us, and a love that um, eventually will manifest itself as we one day see you face to face. And so, Father, I pray that as we um, go before your word, Father, would you do work in our hearts, Lord? Would you uh, remind us of your goodness and grace towards us and the gift of friendship? But, Father, would you also challenge us and deepen our desire to want to be friends to others? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Proverbs is a book that I've just grown to really fall in love with because um, it's a book with a lot of practical yet um, pithy sayings to help us as people live a wise life here on this earth. Proverbs is written primarily by a man named Solomon, the son of one of David's sons, and he was king at the time. And what I love about Solomon is that um, he's kind of all over the place. As you read through Proverbs, you'll see this man describing kind of and just kind of being scattered all over the place of various different topics that relate to everyday life. One minute in Proverbs, Solomon's going to be talking about finances and the next minute he's going to be talking about how to choose a boo. One second, he's going to be talking about um, the blessing of family and childhood. And the next minute, he's going to be dealing with what it looks like to be a fool. Solomon is scattered and he's all over the place, but he's kind of like that grandparent that you have when you go and visit during the summer. 
you sit on the porch with them and they're talking to you and you really are not following where they're going, but it's just those moments where they drop these jewels on you about life. It's like as they're talking, they're just giving you wisdom and advice about things that you never really spent time thinking about, but you know are so essential to your everyday lives. Well, that's how Proverbs is. And so today we get to address one of the things that Solomon is going to discuss, and it's the issue of friendship. I want to caution us, though, that sometimes we can think of Proverbs as just simply that, a book of pithy sayings. And so we can find ourselves really in a place where we approach it almost as if, um, if, if we were only to just follow and obey what is being told to us in this book, that we'll receive our blessing from God. And so I want to caution us this, as we approach Proverbs as a whole, that we don't want to read Proverbs like a Pharisee. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, it was a group of people in the Bible that cared more about their external appearances than they really did sense a need for their deep heart transformation. We don't want to approach Proverbs like that. We want to see Proverbs through the lens that God desires for us to see it in and recognizing one being confronted face to face with the reality that we don't meet God's standard. But then from there, being, the, being able to see the beauty of someone who met all of God's standards and that we can place our faith and trust in and cry out and ask for help to be exactly what we see in this book. If I were to summarize today's message in one sentence, it would be that true friendship is an ongoing commitment to love another person over time. True friendship is an ongoing commitment to love another person over time. The text starts off with this, a friend loves, and I want to stop there. A friend loves. Friendship is a lot different than family is. Family is one of those things where you're just kind of born into the family. You have really no say on who your parents are going to be or how many brothers and sisters you're going to have. You're just kind of stuck with whatever you end up getting, right? Friendship, though, is a little bit different. Friendship, you actually get to choose who it is you want to be your friend. And the scary thing about friendship is, is that there's some risk attached to your decision. See, the thing about friendship that makes us all uncomfortable is that um, there's no guarantee that the person that you want to be your friend wants to be your friend back. Let me say that again. There's no guarantee that the person that you desire to be your friend actually wants to be your friend back. And so it requires for you to step out of your comfort zone and to risk things like embarrassment and disappointment and heartache. There's no real way around that. You know, oftentimes when we think about friendship, we just expect it to come natural. We just expect us to kind of like Hollywood, Hollywood movies portray this idea of my closest friends or the people that I want in my life are going to be the people that I have instant connection with. And so we go throughout church, we go throughout these services, and we meet people, and in a moment we make a decision right then and right there whether or not that person is deemed acceptable enough to invite them into our lives. Here's the danger about building friendships or relationships off of your own preferences is that eventually your preferences are going to change because people change. 
And so you can make a decision about right here and right now about who your friends are going to be in this life stage. But as people change, there's no real assurance that your friendship will last or even be able to see um, or last beyond you two individuals remaining the same, having the same interest, having the same desires, caring about the same thing. And as people change, relationships change. The text starts with a friend loves. And I think if we were to press down a little bit deeper in that, we got we to gotta start thinking about, well, why does, why does Solomon want us to know, first and foremost, that a friend is somebody who loves? I think the reason that Solomon or God starts with attaching love to friendship is because he knows how fickle we are. He knows how we're okay with liking somebody a whole lot. But if we're going to say that we love somebody, we know that part of loving somebody is being willing to give up something from ourselves. And that's a scary thought. It's scary to think that, man, if I'm really going to be a friend that loves somebody, then that means that, man, I'm probably there's a high probability or a high chance that I'm going to end up being hurt. And oftentimes that hurt can cause us to retract or to keep people at a distance All because we are so concerned with preserving self that we're unwilling to risk temporary discomfort for the benefit of somebody else. Solomon has to deal first with a friend being someone who loves because he wants to take our attention off of other people and he wants to place it directly on ourselves. It's funny that when I first read this verse, my immediate reaction was to start thinking about all the relationships that I had and to start evaluating my friendships. Do these people love me this way? And I had to stop for a second and say, let me read that verse again because I think I'm missing the intent behind why God is trying to communicate to us about friendship. God isn't concerned about what other people are doing to you. God is more concerned about what you are going to become or be for somebody else. So when you read this, don't think about, oh, my sister needs to hear this. Don't think about, oh, I wish my best friend were here right now so he could hear about how a friend loves. No, 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 no. God wants to deal with you. God is after your affections and your desires, and he wants to draw you in so that he can hold up the mirror of his word right in front of you so you can see all the blemishes and all the warts. That's what God's word does for us. He doesn't stop there with exposing us to ourselves, but he uses it as a tool so that we can look at how jacked up we are and then focus on the only one that's not jacked up, Jesus Christ, and then we can cry out to him for his help. Cry up for him to change us, to help us to be what he wants us to be. That's what God is after right here and right now. So again, let the focus be on how can I be this for somebody else? How can you be a better friend? How can you be a friend that loves? Are you known as such? The first thing I want us to understand from this text is that about friendship is that it's a choice to love someone else. Friendship is a choice to love someone else. The love that God is calling us or inviting us into, I think we got to tease that out a little bit. Because when we say love, we, everybody has a different definition. 
everybody can kind of form in, formulate in their minds what it is that God is communicating. So I just want to be perfectly clear about the love that God is inviting us into. This isn't a ordinary type of love. This is a love that is more concerned about self-giving than it is self-serving. Think about that for a second. How many of your friendships evolve around what people can do for you or what you like about others? How many of your friendships are simply rooted and grounded on what this person can do for me, how he can make me feel or how she can make me feel, what they can offer me in my greatest point of need? I think the text wants to God wants to move us a little bit deeper about what it really means to love as a friend. And it's about us giving something away to other people. It's about us being focused less on our own concerns and more on the concerns of others. A friend is one who loves. But not only is it one who's willing to give love away, it's someone who's willing to say, I'm going to aim my affections towards you without the expectation of receiving anything back in return. Most of us have transactional friendships. You do this for me and I will do this for you. It's a subconscious contract That isn't often verbalized, but it's just expected. If I loan you $50, that's cool. But best believe three months later, if I'm in need, I'm going to bring that $50 back up to your attention. I'm fine with being there for you to cry on my shoulder and listen to me as I weep and talk about all the issues of life. But just know that I'm going to expect you to do that very same thing when I find myself in that same place. It's contractual. And the moment that you can't offer me what I felt like I've offered you, then we're quick to sever. We're quick to write off. I think that when we think about love, we don't really think that it requires us to really lay our lives down for other people. That's, that's ultimately what it means to love somebody, is to be willing to lay our lives down for others. Let me, let me, let me tease that out a little bit. Let's go, let's go to God's word. Let's look at some examples of how God has chosen to become something for others without expectation of anything, getting anything back. Let's turn with me to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. It'll be on your screen. God is speaking to Israel, and Israel is um, in the midst of captivity, and God says this to his people. He says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. I will be your God. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 8, it'll be on your screen as well. God speaking to Israel once again, assuring them of the promise that he has for them. And he says, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore 
to your fathers. This is just the Old Testament. Let's look at Jesus. You don't think it's a continuous thing? Let's look at what Jesus has to say. We read it earlier. John 15, verses 4 through 16. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. And Paul reaffirms the same commitment from God to be willing to lay his life down for others in Romans 5, 8, a familiar verse. But God proves or demonstrates his own love for us in that why will yet sinners Christ died for us. Here's something we got to understand about God's love. God chooses those who are least likely candidates. God chooses those that are least deserving, least powerful, and with the least ability to give anything back to him in return. If you're a Christian in this room, if you profess to know Jesus, then you're a recipient of this type of love. Think for a moment where you were before Christ interrupted you. Think about where you were and how lost you were in your sins, how confused you were until Christ said, no, I'm going to step in and I'm going to reveal myself to you. And and I'm going to say to you that I will be your God and that you will be mine forever. God's done that for everybody who has professed their faith in Jesus Christ. And if God has done that for you and for I, then who are we to withhold that same type of love from anyone else? The sad reality is, is that out there in the world, it's understandable why people have cliques. It's understandable why people exclude others from their social circles. That makes sense. They're just doing what's natural. We naturally are attracted to people who are like us. In the church, though, there should be some distinction in the way that our friendships are formed and even how our friendships look. Oh, it's quiet in here right now. There should be some differences between who we associate with and how we associate with. Just take for a second and look at your friendships. How diverse are they? Could we peer into your social circle and see a um, advertisement for a high school cafeteria where you hang out with people who are like you all the time, people who think like you, talk like you, interested in all the same things that you are? Is there any space or room for somebody completely opposite from you to enter into your world, to possibly challenge you and help sharpen you in the way that you are living. Most of us, we don't want that. That's called, we call that drama. <laughs> we call people who would um, push back on our ideas as enemies, not friends. Anyone who would correct us or call us out about something that we're doing, we don't really value that. It makes us uncomfortable. It ruins our pride. 
how many of us are grateful for the people that God has sent in our lives to call us out of our mess? To love us enough to tell us the road and the path that you're heading is leading to destruction. You need to turn. Who was, as Proverbs talks about, who was willing to wound you for the moment in order to spare your very soul. Do you want those types of friends? Do you appreciate those types of friends? Many of us don't, if we're honest. We would rather have friends that make us feel good. We would rather have friends that entertain us. We would rather have friends that would lie in our face just to spare our feelings. The Bible makes clear, no, 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 deceitful, (laughs) deceitful are the words of anyone who would try to care more about flattering us than they would speaking truth to us in love. The Bible doesn't describe that as a friend. It describes that as actual an enemy. We've got to rethink about, we've got to, we've got to change our value systems to line up with what God says is best for us, not what we think is best for ourselves. God is here, is, you know, he's making it clear to us today to say, I want my people to display a love that is both sacrificial and inviting. A love that is welcoming to all and inviting to anyone who would desire to know you. And as a result, that's how people are going to come to know me. By experiencing the love that we have for one another and being invited into that and then being pointed to the one who created the whole thing. In a church our size, I think it can be overwhelming to even fathom the idea of getting to know a whole lot of people. We've got 200 and I believe 64 members of this church right now. And so just the mere thought of, man, how is it even possible for me to get to know every single person or be on a a friend level of every single person? Here's what I don't want you to hear me saying. The expectation is not for you to be close friends with everybody. That's not the expectation. The expectation is not for you to have the same depth of relationship with every person that you've made covenant with as a member of this church. But the expectation is for you to be friendly to every single person in this church. And not only in this church, but every single person that would come or walk across paths with you. The call for you as a Christian is to say, how can I reflect an accurate picture of the love that I've received from my father to those who would enter into my life and just just give them a taste? Just 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 give them a taste of how good our God is that I can forsake my friend circles for a moment so that you can taste of how good it is to be a friend of God. God is kind in the sense that he gives us friendships. Let us not be selfish in our desire to hoard them for ourselves. There's a lot of people in this room right now. There's a lot of members of our church who've been coming around and been members for a long time. And they can't think of a friend like this. But then there are those in our church who have abundance of friends. Abundance of deep relationships with other people. 
I want to challenge you. I want to I want to push up against you just a little bit. I want to nudge you just a bit. What would it look like if those who had much opened up themselves enough to say, hey, I want to share with you the blessing that I've gotten from God so that you can taste it for yourself and that you in turn can extend it to somebody else. What does that look like in a church of 257 members? I guarantee you the next time we do a survey, we're not going to hear grumbles and complaints about clicks and social circles and people not being welcoming or inviting to the church. I guarantee you the church is probably going to look more alike and you will know them by their love for one another. The expectation is for you to be friendly to all. That's the requirement. Here's a couple of practical ways that you can be friendly in this church. Friendly to others. We, we say this over and over and over again, and we're going to keep on saying it. It's nothing new. The very first thing, if you're a member of this church, that you can do to show to be friendly and inviting and welcoming in this way is to pray for other members. Literally, go to the membership directory and pray through a few folks every single day. We've made this almost an effort on our parts to every time we stand before our people. Pastor John says this over and over and over again, and we're going to keep on saying it until all 267, 64 members can honestly say, no, I do that on a regular occasion. Our desire is to, is to bombard you and to place the weight of responsibility that we believe God places on us as his people to say you are responsible for every single member of this church. Not just the ones you care about. Not just the ones you like or naturally click with. Every member of this church. And you will be responsible for every member of this church. Whether we're 260 plus or a thousand. We're a family. The way in which we experience one another may vary. But our commitment to one another remains the same. Pray for other members of our church. Secondly, at the end of service, look for someone that you don't know well yet. Look for somebody who you don't see multiple times throughout the week and go up to them and spark a conversation. Here's a helpful hand to those who have trouble starting conversations. Ask them this. What are some takeaways that you got from the sermon? How did God speak to you through that message? What what is it you hope to apply? That's a simple conversation that demonstrates care and love for another person that would open the possibility up of deeper friendship over a length of a, a longer period of time. Talk to somebody different on Sunday. Don't just flock to your usual suspects. Thirdly, and I'm grateful that we can celebrate members in our church who do this extremely well. Think of ways to create spaces where other people can interact with your people. Think of spaces where other people can interact with your people. This is something as simple as yesterday, Mike himself and his family threw a pool party and invited anyone and everybody who wanted to come out to it. This wasn't a special invitation. It just was saying, how can, how can I and my family open up our home and our friend circles to anybody who will want to come and be a part? There was no pressure that he had to talk to every single individual. There was no pressure that he had to be the main one. 
being the host, it was how can I just create an atmosphere where people can come and get connected with other people? Last week, another member emailed us saying, hey, I want to start having a monthly dinner or weekly dinner. To which we said to her, you don't have to ask us permission. Just do it. You don't need the pastor's approval to share a meal with somebody. Just do it. We want to hear more and more stories of people thinking of creative ways to where we can, we can help shoulder the load of disconnectedness within our church and not just expect three pastors to carry that alone. Y'all's responsibility as members of this church is to care enough about others that when you see a brother or sister deplete or lacking in some way, that you step in to actually meet that need, whatever it looks like, whatever it costs. Friendship that reflects God's love and is inviting others and being open to diverse relationships. You can choose what type of friend you want to be to others. That's your choice. And that's the choice that I think the text is holding out in front of us, that we can be a friend that loves or we could be something else. Not only is friendship a choice, but friendship is also a commitment. It was the fall of 2004 where Pastor John and myself and a few other guys, we were bored one weekend, and so we decided, you know, one of the things that we did within our campus ministry while in college was we had these wars with the, the, the sister ministry, right? So the guys' ministry would decide to say, hey, we're going to dress in all black, and we're going to get water balloons, and we're going to go and ambush this lady's house so that they can be scared and so that they can know that we are the dominant group of the, in our church, so this one night we decide, we say, hey, we, let's, it's Friday, let's go ahead and let's, let's continue this war. And so we, we, we do just that. We get in black and we go to their apartment. We know some of the sisters are watching a movie that night. And so it's about 10 of us. So we roll up and we've got our water balloons and our water guns. Mind you, we're only 17 and 18 years old. So it wasn't lame at the time. Um, <laughs> So we're there, and we're, we're sneaking behind cars, and we're like, okay, we're getting, we got, we got teams on all corners, and we're like, okay, um, on your mark, get set, go. And so a few people, they throw water balloons at the windows, and it's kind of loud. We're like, ooh, that wasn't a good idea. Um, that could have broken. Um, but there's this startling that takes place there. And so we're doing this for maybe about 30 or so minutes, and they start texting us because they know it's us out there. But out of nowhere, this, this truck pulls up real, real slow, kind of creeping, we lived in Waco, you know, I went to school at Baylor, so Waco is kind of like, you know, you think of Baylor and you think of affluence and all this stuff, but at that time, like, there were some hood parts in Waco. So we're in the hood, and this car creeps up real, real slow. And so all of us are like, yo, trying to get a peek, like, yo, who is this? Why is he stopping in front of this apartment, This the, the girl's apartment, what's going on? And so John is right next to us. So he's trying to get a look, and he's like, yo, I think I know that dude. I think I know that car. I think it's a football player. And so he's like, yo, I think I'm going to say what's up. And we're like, nah, bro, like, chill. Like, <laughs> that's not a good idea. Like, we're in all black. It's dark. Like, let's not do that. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to say what's up. So, you know, John stands up, and he's a basketball player. So he's like six foot five, six four, two 240 pounds, just muscular. 
So he st- stands up and pokes his check out, chest out a little bit, and he's like, hey, what's up, man? And so whatever reason, the dude gets startled, and so he reaches back in his truck, and he pulls out a gun, and so all we, all, all, we're, we're still hiding, but we hear this click-click. And then the next thing we hear are little pitter-patter footsteps running off, and, and John lets out this screech. Like, he, he lets out, all we, all we hear, we don't even really know what's going on. But he lets out this, Jesus! And he just runs. And so he's like hurtling over folks, you know, like, he's like, yo, I'm out, I'm out. And so we, he runs that way, we all run this way. And so we come back together and we like, yo, where's John at, y'all? So we get out our phones and we call him. We like, hey man, where'd you? What, what, what happened? Like, where'd you go? And he's like, man, you know, dude pulled out a gun, and so I had to, you know, I had to, I had to run. I was like, bro, you couldn't give us a heads up. <laughs> and so we're standing there and we're we're kind of like, all right, well, cool, everything calmed down, like, let's go hang out, and John's like, nah, bro, I think I'm good, I think I'm going to stay in for the night, um, you know, there was a lot of, it was at that moment that we realized that, man, John's a great friend in a lot of ways, but, <laughs> John is not about to catch a bullet for nobody, nobody. I, I tell that story lightheartedly, but you know, for some for some folks, that may have been enough to say, "Man, I'm done." You live enough life, and you be a part of a church long enough, and I think I've pastored long enough to know that um, I've seen friendships break up for far less. I've seen people give up on friendships that they've had for years over petty stuff. You ain't call me when you said you was going to call me. I see you taking a picture out here. Where was my invite? Oh, you walked past me and you didn't say hello. Petty. We don't value relationships enough. We don't value friendships enough to be willing to fight for it or confront awkwardness. It's a sad reality to look at people who you recall their life over the last however many years and you just see a a wake of broken friendship after broken friendship after broken friendship. And what sin does, it, it convinces us that the problem in your life is other people versus the problem being with you. Most of the difficulties that we experience in relationships is typically due to unrealistic or unmet expectations. We haven't communicated what we expect, but yet we hold people responsible when they don't meet that standard. And when it comes to breaking off friendships, oftentimes we're not even willing to give that other person a heads up. To allow them to have an opportunity to apologize for something that they're not even aware of even doing. But the moment that that forced apology happens, we will cut. We're not interested in hearing any type of reasoning. We just want punishment. 
I want you to feel how I feel. Friendship is a choice, but friendship is a commitment. Friendship is a commitment that says, I'm willing to love you, but the condition behind what God wants for us is that I'm willing to love you and love the best things about you and love the worst worst things about you. I'm willing to be there for you when you get that promotion or you find out your wife is pregnant or you have get that uh you adopt a child or whatever it is I'm willing to be there for you for that but I'm also willing to be there for you when you have a crisis of faith when you lose that family member when you lose that job when you're struggling with life in every way a friend is one that loves but it's one who loves at all times. Do you have friends like that? Better yet, are you that type of friend? I want to challenge us to manage your expectations. I think the text is going to help us to manage our expectations for other people because the reality is friendship is hard. Friendship is hard. Expect difficulty. If you don't encounter difficulty in a friendship, it's probably because it's so surfacey that you really don't even create, you don't even have opportunities to deal with real things. It, it, it baffles me, couples that want to get married and they've, they, they want to get engaged and they've never fought. They've never had a disagreement. You're like, yo, do y'all, how do y'all handle arguments? Oh, we don't argue at all. What? I don't. Conflict is a result of two different people disagreeing about the issues of life. If you don't have conflict, your relationship is artificial at best. The issue is not whether or not you're going to have conflict. The issue is how do you handle that conflict? And friendship is a commitment to say we're going to work this out. No matter how long it takes, no matter how difficult it is, we're going to fight for the relationship because I actually value you as a person. When you cut people out of your lives, it is the greatest testament to the world that you really don't value people. You value what people can do for you. Love is meant to be enduring. Love is meant to be persevering. God attaches love to friendship because he wants friendship to reflect those very things. My wife and I are coming up on 12 years in July. Amen. And one of the things that we've learned over the last almost 12 years is that no matter how hard things can get at times, ain't none of us going nowhere. Ain't none of us, you can push, we can push each other away, we can get on each other's last nerves, but the commitment that I made in July 14th of 2006 is the same commitment that I will remake every day and every moment and every year that we are able to be married. I didn't enter into marriage thinking that it was going to be all about feelings. Feelings come and go. You can't build any relationship on feelings. 
the longer you stay married to a person, you begin to learn that what's deeper than any emotional high I can have is the fact that this person committed to be there through thick or through thin, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. My loyalty to my wife springs from the fact that we made a commitment to one another and a commitment to God. It's not based on her actions or my actions. And some of y'all single folk here may be thinking that, oh, well, that's marriage. I ain't married yet, so I don't know about, I don't know about all that. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example real quick. 1 Samuel 18, turn with me there. 1 Samuel 18. One of the most familiar examples of friendship in the Bible. David, let me get a little background while y'all turn there. David had been chosen. Um, David is um, uh, a little shepherd boy who is off the cusp of killing um, and defeating a Philistine um, named Goliath. And so David comes and returns to the king and it starts at verse, he returns to King Saul's castle and it starts in verse one where he says, and when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship. Jonathan is Saul's son next in line for the throne. Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. And yet Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, his belt. There's covenantal language here given to us so that we can understand that a covenant commitment isn't reserved to just man and woman or husband and wife. Covenant language is used with those amongst the opposite sex in the Bible. David, Jonathan didn't know David for nothing. Jonathan was next up in line for the throne, and yet he encounters this individual and makes a decision to say, I'm going to love you as much as I love myself. I'm going to commit to loving you and commit to what God wants to do in your life, even at my own expense. He gives of his tunic and his robe and his armor. He removes himself out of his rightfully deserved position and says, no, I recognize what God is doing in your life. I want you to have this instead. There's a sacrificial love right there. My encouragement to Men, let me speak to men. It is Father's Day. Let me speak to y'all directly. Fathers, you need friends. Men, you need friends. Don't believe the lie that you're good enough with just your wife and your kids. You're not. God has wired you to need other men to speak into your life and to hold you to the carpet, to hold you to the fire, to challenge you, but also to love and to care and to nurture you. There's nothing feminine about loving a man there's nothing feminine about loving your brother like you love yourself that's that's the world perpetuates that lie in the church we should see relationships between men and women and men and men and women and women that accurately depict 
this deep level of intimacy of knowing one another and being willing to commit to one another at all cost. Jonathan loved David. I'd encourage you, read all through first all through first Samuel. Jonathan loved David so much so that he was willing to, to tell his father, you're tripping. Why do you want to kill this man? Not only that, he was willing to go to the fullest extent to say, why do you want to kill David? What has he done? And David had told him, if you go to that banquet, Saul, your dad is going to get angry, right? It's not going to be good for you. But you're going to know that your father's intent is to kill me based off of that, his anger. Jonathan goes to the banquet. He's chopping it up with dad. And as he's chopping it up with dad, he grows angry. Saul gets so angry that the son that he has in place to take his throne, he grabs a spear and throws it at him to try to kill him. You talk about a friendship. You talk about a love. Jonathan was willing to risk his life for his brother. Even though it even destroyed the relationship that he had with his own father. We don't want to in any way see division amongst family. But there may be times where what God wants for you, what God wants and has said about um, truth and his word, that that may be the very thing that divides families. Men, you need friends. I, I, I fully recognize that there's people in here that think about friendship and it doesn't bring joy, it brings sorrow. I fully am aware of the struggles that it is to find, to feel like you don't have a fit, you don't have a place, no one understands you, nobody knows you, nobody wants to know you. There's many of us in this room today. Don't allow bitterness to creep in your heart. So much so that you think that you don't need what God has told you that you actually need. Don't allow bitterness to grow to your heart to grow so hard to where you think that you're better off by yourself. Proverbs 14, 4, it says this. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. An ox is just a male castrated cow. And if you know anything about cows, cows are messy. They're big. All they do is eat, and then they poop, and they pee everywhere. The text, this is how this applies to friendship, especially for those that feel like, man, I don't need no friends. I'm good by myself. Oxen were used instead of horses because they could pull heavier loads and for longer periods of time. And oxen, though, because of the mess that they made, is that when the farmer would put the oxen in its trough or in its barn, they knew that the next day they were going to have to wake up and that to clean up the mess that those oxen left for them was going to be a difficult and trying situation. However, the value came from knowing that these oxen were necessary in order for me to actually produce the harvest that I desired to see happen. The oxen were the ones breaking up soil. The oxen were the ones that were around enabling him to actually fulfill and accomplish that which was extremely necessary for his survival. The text says an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. 
Friendships are hard, but you know what's harder? Not having any when you need one. You may feel like right now you don't need people, but life will always bring you to a point where you have to cry out for help. There's no escaping that reality. So if that is true and we can amen that right here and right now, then why not invest our time and energy in discomfort or or to discomfort ourselves for a moment and to strengthen the friendships that we actually have? Friends are a gift from God. Just because they come with challenges does not mean they're not necessary. View friendship like God's sanctifying tool for your life. Without friends, you ain't going to know who you really are. Friends have a way of helping you see yourself accurately. Think about the friends that annoy you. The problem isn't them. The problem is that you get annoyed. And you wouldn't know that you had a heart, that you were selfish until your friends revealed to you that you were selfish because they asked you for that money and you were unwilling to give it because you thought, no, I'd rather keep that to myself. God's gift in marriage is that their wife becomes a mirror and we get to see exactly who we are, who we really are. Not what everybody else sees, but who we really are. And friends are that very same thing. They're a reflection of, uh, or they reflect back to us what's really going on in our own hearts. How impatient we are, how selfish we are, how prideful we are, how unwilling we are to go the extra mile. All those different things we wouldn't know about ourselves if we didn't have people around us who God could use as a tool to expose us. Friends are God's gifts because they enable us to see our self rightly, but then they're there to encourage us and to remind us of God's acceptance of us despite of our own mess. We need friends. And lastly, not only do we, not only is friendship a choice, not only is friendship a commitment, but friendship is a process. Don't expect friendships or deep friendships to happen overnight. Don't meet somebody tomorrow and then call them your best friend. They don't know you. You don't know them. They're not your best friend. Stop lying to yourself. Genuine friendships are only revealed over time. And the reason why they grow and they're developed and they're strengthened over time is because life will put you in positions where you need one another. And then when you finally get to that place of need, you're able to see clearly who is your real friend. There's something sweet and something beautiful about not having to suffer through life on our own. There's something sweet and beautiful with being able to celebrate with people, other people that we love, as well as being able to suffer alongside them at their greatest point of need. Those that have studied this text say the Solomon is not trying to compare and contrast between a friend and a brother. What Solomon is trying to do, excuse me, is he's just building upon what it really means, what what friendship could blossom into. 
that friendship can go from a level of just uh, a deep bond with one another and be elevated to a place of being like a brother, being family. But the means through which that happens is through adversity. When you get in hard times, don't isolate yourself. Don't rob yourself of the blessing of having people that care about you. It's hard work that when people go through things, that when we, we, that sometimes as pastors, we have to reach out for weeks just to get a response. We know something's going on, but we've got to tirelessly keep texting, keep texting, keep calling with no response. We're going to do that because we love y'all. But it would help us out that if you thought about the essential nature of what it means to have a friend, that you wouldn't rob us of the opportunity of loving for you and caring for you. That's what we want to do. You don't have to hide from us. We know about hardship. We know about the, the, the stranglehold that sin can place on our lives. We know about those things. You don't have to be embarrassed. Let us love you. And not only us as pastors, members, when you see somebody disappear, check on them. Don't ask us about them. You don't need to ask us about them. If you recognize that they've been missing for some time, reach out directly to them. You don't need our permission. It's all of our responsibility. In close, two applications for us. One, don't assume that your friendships are stronger than they actually are. Sometimes, length of time, you can start assuming that y'all are good, and in all actuality, y'all have grown apart completely. Be, have the, cur- the courage to ask somebody, man, how can I be a better friend to you? Just tell me some ways in which I can love you better. Secondly, don't, go cr- don't grow comfortable with your long-term relationships. Renew your interest in getting to know people at a deeper level. Sometimes long-term friendships are the hardest because you know enough about, about each other that you grow content. It's like, yo, I'm comfortable with you because you're family, yeah, 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 but it's like, yo, like the depth of the relation, there's no, there's no desire to dig deeper. And so I think the encouragement for all of us is to say, man, look at your long-term relationships and say, man, how can I, man, how can I study you? How can I learn you? How can I renew this desire to want to take our friendship to another level? We need that. The reality is that being a friend like this is a standard that none of us can live up to. None of us can meet the standard of being a friend that loves at all time, nor can we meet the standard of being a brother that's there every time one goes through adversity. But there is one that is. Jesus is the only friend that we can look to that will never leave us and will never forsake us. He's the only one that we can look to that said, oh, he is closer than a brother because he's always near to me. Jesus is the one that we look to. When you see that you don't meet the standard, what sense does it make for us to just settle with that? To just settle with the guilt of, man, I'll never be that, and it's impossible for me to measure up. The gift that God extends to us today 
is that once we recognize, once you recognize that you don't meet God's standard, you don't measure up, that we can now receive the free gift of God in that there, he sent a son to measure up for you and that if you place your trust in him as Lord and personal Savior, that you can receive from him unconditional love, unconditional commitment, one that will last and preserve you to the end and then empower you to actually live out this life in a way that maybe not next year, maybe not 10 years down the road, but one day we'll be able to boast and say, man, I can, I've, I'm able to love like that because I've ex- received and experienced that type of love for myself. The invitation today is to say, trust in Jesus as a truer friend than anyone else, than anyone else that you could ever think or imagine. Christ can be that for you. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we're grateful that we get to be reminded of your relentless love for us and that we were truly sinners. There was nothing good about us, Lord. There was no hope for us, and yet you entered in and you brought us all the hope we would ever need. Father, I pray that as we think about friendship, give us the courage to actually apply what we heard. Father, would you give us the courage to have hard and difficult conversations, Father, with the hope that you would only use those as a means to strengthen them for the long haul. God, let us and help us to be doers of your word and not just healers. Hearers, we ask it all in Jesus' name.